This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. As our children are being dismissed for children's worship, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Galatians once again. This morning our text will be the final two verses of chapter 5. That will be verses 25 and 26 as we continue making our way through this letter that Paul wrote to address a very serious issue the church was facing. False teachers had arisen within the church teaching, yes, you are saved by grace. Yes, you are saved by faith. But you need to add following the law to grace and faith in order to be a part of the family of God. To which Paul responded to them, no, by no means. It is by grace in the Lord Jesus alone that one is made right with God. And that by God's grace. Now the question arises then, if you don't emphasize the law, what's to keep us from going off the rails and living however we want to with no regard for, for the consequence, no regard that it's sinning against God? Paul's answer is very Clear and simple. The Holy Spirit. God has given every believer the Holy Spirit in order to lead us into righteousness. It is the Spirit that will bring us to conform to Christ. It is the Spirit that will lead us. So throughout the latter part of chapter 5, Paul has been emphasizing this one command for the believer. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And he continues that emphasis in verses 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Even if you've never served in the military of the United States, there is an image from military life that has been ingrained in America's collective psyche. It is that image of a platoon of soldiers either marching or running in the cadence laid down by their drill instructor. Formed up in, in, in perfect formation, they are walking in step with the cadence that is being laid down by that D.I., now, military cadence is a traditional call that is used as a song during running and march formations. It has a rhythm to it to keep the soldiers moving in line. But Staff Sergeant Glenn Allen, the drill instructor for Platoon 2129 of Company F, 2nd Recruit Training Battalion, explains there's more to cadence than just staying in step. He says that military cadence is used to motivate and inspire the military personnel to push through fatigue. He says, and I quote, when you're out training and running with your unit to cadences, it gives you a sense of pride, keeps you and your fellow Marines motivated, and builds up camaraderie with the people you train with every day. Morale is always important, and cadence is one of those things that's used to keep it high. Now, a cadence requires a caller who gives out the commands. And the cadence is used to remind the unit that they are one together. 
and for the Marines to live up to the Marine motto, no Marine left behind. Cadence comes to the forefront in verse 25. In fact, in the latter part of that verse, Paul uses a military term. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step was a term used even in the Roman military for the idea of marching in order, marching in cadence. And the instructor leading us to live our lives in step with the Spirit is indeed the Spirit Himself. We are called to follow the leadership of the Spirit. Now the beginning of this verse reminds us that we are made alive by the Spirit. But simply having the Spirit is no guarantee that we will follow the cadence of the Holy Spirit. But it's so important that we do so. Following the cadence of the Spirit not only gives us life, but it leads us to experience the life that God has for us in Christ and to experience that life to the fullness in relationship with one another. So therefore, verse 25 begins with the statement of fact. It's a statement that is true for every believer. In fact, I'm of the opinion that the word if, that little word that is used there in the Greek, which can also be translated as since, should be translated as since. Since we live by the Spirit. The Spirit gives us life. Apart from the Spirit of God, there is no redemption. Upon a person coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit recreates, renews, regenerates. The Holy Spirit fills us, frees us, focuses us. The Spirit of God empowers, equips, and encourages us. The Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian because without the Spirit, there's no life. There's no new creation. There is no freedom. What oxygen is to our physical bodies, the Spirit is to our lives. So since the Spirit has given us life, the command flows from that. Since we have this fact, the Spirit quickens our spirits, regenerates us, gives us life. Let us also walk in cadence with the Spirit. For being made alive by the Spirit does not guarantee that we will follow the Spirit. To do so is tragic in the life of the believer. To ignore the leadership of the Spirit is to ignore the life that the Spirit wants us to live. It is to ignore the power that God gives us. Ignoring the Holy Spirit in our lives would be much like getting a brand new chainsaw, a brand new steel chainsaw, and getting ready to go out and tackle those trees in the backyard. So you go out with your brand new steel chainsaw and you get ready, man. You're ready to go. Those trees are going to fall like dominoes. So you get your steel chainsaw and you get ready and all of a sudden you start chopping away. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're missing the entire point of the chainsaw. The point of the chainsaw is the power of that saw to make life easier for you, empowering you to accomplish what is necessary so it is with the Spirit of God. Not availing ourselves of the power of the Holy Spirit is like trying to chop down trees with a chainsaw. The Spirit gives life and recreates us that we will follow God. And as we walk in cadence with the Holy Spirit, we will experience the life and the love that God intends. 
This is emphasized, and this is why I want us to look back, starting at verse 13, to understand the flow of Paul's argument in this section. Paul is saying in verse 13 of chapter 5, you're called to freedom, not to legalistic slavery. And then he gives a warning. Don't use your freedom in the Spirit as an opportunity for flesh. Now, flesh is sin. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your sinful desires. But rather than that, through love, serve one another. You see, when we live legalistically without grace, we will end up devouring one another. You see, sin always leads to death. It leads to death inwardly, and it leads to death relationally. That's why Paul gives the warning in verse 15. He says in verse 14, you love one another. That fulfills the law. But in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Living according to our sinful desires will leave a trail of brokenness in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our relationships. So that's why Paul comes back to this idea of living in the Spirit. What is contrary to living according to our sinful desires? Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. In fact, verse 25 is simply a repetition of that idea. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 25, let us keep in step, in cadence with the Spirit. Because when something is repeated in the Scripture, it is emphasized. The way to show the importance of something is to repeat it. The way to show the importance of something is to repeat it. That's what Paul does here. Walk by the Spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't be conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So why would we not be led by the Spirit? Why would we close our ears to the cadence of the Holy Spirit? Well, on one level, the answer is simple. Sin. And that's accurate. But Paul doesn't leave us with this general view of saying sin stops us from, from obeying the cadence. Verse 26, he gives us some specifics. You see, the desires of the flesh will work against the fruit of the Spirit. Where there would be love, the flesh fights for apathy. Where there would be peace, our sinful nature pursues discord. So verse 26 brings this issue into better focus that we might understand what not only prevents us from following the Spirit, but what will happen when we don't. Now verse 26 has one command propped up by two uh, corollary ideas. He says, let us not become conceited. Now, conceited is that I do. It's the opposite of humility. So that tells us that if we walk in the cadence of the Spirit, we'll live humbly with one another. Otherwise, we will become conceited. The word for conceit there is a very interesting Greek word made of two words that are smashed together. Kino, doxa. Kino means empty. Doxa, praise. Conceit is Empty praise we tell ourselves. It is thinking more of oneself than one should. And it's something that we're all prone to do. Prone to elevate our abilities and, and the things and, and our, even our own value at times. I always love hearing the stories of world-class athletes and the things they go through often in life. 
Two athletes recently, or I read recently, shared testimonies of encounters they've had with people who had a pretty conceited view of themselves. Christian Coleman, a few years ago, was the reigning 100 meters world champion, fastest man in the world. The 26-year-old native of Atlanta said it's not uncommon for people to come up to him at the airport and say, you want to race? And they won't be joking. It goes an even step further with a Swedish uh, track runner by the name of Karsten Warholm. He's 26 years old, holds the world record in the 400-meter hurdles. He's working out at his, his track in his hometown of Oslo uh, there in Norway. When a man comes up to him, not dressed in track clothes, and says to Karsten, would you like to race? Karsten looked at him and said, okay, I've got one more training lap to do, so let's do it. So they started off, 400 meters hurdle, this guy coming in off the street running a world record holder. Of course, Karsten Warholm won convincingly, and he was waiting for the guy at the finish line. When the guy crossed the finish line, you won't believe what he said. Can I get a rematch? I got a bad start. <laughs> That's having an inflated view of self. But this word, this conceit, can actually take two forms, which is what this verse shows us. Not only does it take the form of having an elevated view of self, it takes the form of having a deflated view. Because those two words that show the corollary of conceit, provoking and envying, show two different aspects of conceit. When he says provoking one another, the word provoke means challenging. Trying to pick a fight. Being argumentative. To provoke refers to that person who sees everything as a battle, everything as a fight, every interaction is a conflict that you have to win. What is it that drives, drives us to be like that? And I wonder, could it be the motivation behind such provocation where we see every interaction as where we have to come out on top? Being based upon the belief that we are better but have to prove it. That by winning the argument or, or putting someone down, we prove that we are better than them. We prove that we are superior. We are one up and that we have to live life proving that. And that is a hollow, tragic way to live because at some point we face the reality that we are not all that we think we are. 2015 Sports Illustrated named Ronda Rousey the world's most dominant athlete. At that run, she had had quite a, quite a run at that point. She was the youngest woman ever to qualify for the Olympics in the sport of judo. She was 14 years old. She was the first ever woman to win an Olympic medal in judo. She transitioned to the world of mixed martial arts. And she was 12 and 0. No one had lasted more than two minutes in the round with her until November of 2015, where she was defeated in less than one minute. After that defeat, she said in an interview a few months later that she was literally sitting there and thinking about killing herself. She said in her mind were the thoughts, I'm nothing. What do I do now? No one cares about me without this. Do you hear the tragedy in those words? If I don't win, if I'm not on top, I'm nothing. 
Thank God she did not listen to those voices telling her to do that. See, the Spirit of God plants, plants within us this simple truth. You are loved by God. On your most successful day ever, at the pinnacle of your greatest success, guess what? You are loved by God. And at the moment of your worst failure, you are loved by God. Your worth is not dependent upon your performance. Therefore, we can be free from that terrible tyranny of the need to win everything to prove that we are worthy. You see, the Spirit is the prescription for provocation to show us that we are loved by God and our value is more than what we do or how we succeed. Now, the other end of this spectrum is envy. Notice he talks about envying one another. Envy is the belief that we are inferior to others, whereas provocation is based on the idea we are superior and have to prove it. Envy is based on the idea that we are inferior, and if we could get what they have, then we would be content. Now, notice this is a work of the flesh outright. Verse 21, Paul lists the works of the flesh, and notice in verse 21, the very first one there is the word envy. Our sinful natures will lead us to envy others thinking, if I can have that, if I can get that, if I could be like them, then I would be content. But that is a work of the flesh. It is overworked today. And that's where I want us to be aware as a congregation of how insidious this sin is and how deceitful it is. I recognize that what I'm about to say is going to make me sound like or even seem like an old curmudgeon. I try not to be. Heck, we've even got a VCR now. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Social media is a part of our world, and it is not going to go away. While there is good with social media to be able to be able to communicate, to share needs, catch up with friends, there's also a great danger. It's a danger of envy. In an article in the Guardian newspaper, Moya Sarnier wrote that today we live in a world where not only do we compare ourselves with friends and neighbors, but now online we see how we measure up with people all over the globe, celebrities and friends, strangers. One therapist has coined the phrase comparison-itis. And it's an emotional sickness that can't be intellectualized or curbed by willpower. University of Michigan professor in sociology, Ethan Cross, says no age group or social class is immune from envy. Photoshopped lives exert a toll on us like we have never experienced before in the history of our species. The article concludes by saying, while we are busy finding the perfect camera angle, our lives become a dazzling, flawless, but empty shell filled only with envy for others and ourselves. The danger is we look at others and think, if I only had that life because their life is perfect, recognize no life is perfect. But also know that the cure for envy is contentment. Not just contentment with stuff, although that's very important to be content with what we have, but it's contentment with who God has made us to be. You do not have to be like someone else to be content or to find value in God's eyes. You don't have to swing like, sing like Taylor Swift. You just have to lift your voice to God. 
You don't have to have the business acumen of Warren Buffett. Just use what you have to the glory of God. You don't have to have the intelligence of Bill Gates. Just use what you do have to the best of your ability for God's glory because value by comparison is always a losing game. You know what the Spirit does? The Holy Spirit roots us in the love of God that says you are loved no matter what. And that frees us up to really love and serve one another. Because I'm not basing my view of myself on others. I'm basing it on who God is. And whether I win or lose, I can still love. Whether or not I have or don't have, I am still loved. And that, church, is true freedom. Then we can really enjoy. Enjoy our walk with God and our walk with one another. That's the cadence of the Spirit. The cadence of the Spirit is leading us to walk with God. And that begins, one, by recognizing our need for the Spirit, repenting, saying, Lord, I followed my own path. Help me and direct me. To be in the Word, directing and saying, my sinful nature says I need to do this, but the Word says do this. Father, I will do what your Word says. So the question then comes, who's calling the cadence for your life? Are we listening to the Spirit of God? If not, tragedy will follow. November of 1983, Avianca Flight 011 took off flying from England to Spain. As it began its descent into the airport, the plane inexplicably crashed into the side of a mountain, killing 181 people. To compound that tragedy was what was found on the black box cockpit recorder. When it was listened to, it heard, it recorded the sound of the automated warning voice saying, pull up, pull up, terrain prominent, pull up. And then it heard the voice of the pilot saying, shut up as he turned off the alarm. Do we hear the voice of the Spirit and say, I'm not going to listen to that? It will not end well. But to follow the Spirit, that's life and freedom and love. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads with me at this time. All of us at one time or another have gone our own way. The good news is that Jesus does not give up on us in that moment. Since we have the Holy Spirit in those moments when we walk to the beat of our own cadence, the Spirit's convicting and saying, come back to me, come back to me. And His arms are open for us to do just that. So this morning as the Holy Spirit leads you to examine your life, Are you following the cadence of the Spirit? Please know it's never too late. Never. If you want to come and pray, our altar is open for you to do that as we sing this final song of worship. It may just be to say, Lord, work within me that I will hear your voice and follow you. Father, I want to thank you for your faithful love. 
For all of us like sheep have gone astray. But you are the good shepherd and you pull us back to yourself through the crook of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray that we will look at our lives and follow the cadence of your Spirit. That we will walk in the Spirit and our lives will show love, peace, patience, joy, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Because those things are life. Grant that, O oh Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.